Yes. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into the commonalities of successful people and the ups and downs of risk-taking. Connect with Carrie through her candid, funny, informative, and always encouraging weekly blog. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Gray. My guest today, that's guests with an S, are both musicians and both work at Infrared Studios <laughs> in Mayflower, Arkansas. Mr. Eric Cheshire, for over 25 years, has been producing music for some of the largest recording studios in the industry. His resume includes Capitol Records, RCA, and today he is laying down tracks for himself and other musicians at Infrared Studios. In addition, Eric predictably holds a BA in music performance in both vocal and piano. But confusingly, he also has a BS degree in pre-med for biology and psychology, and I can't wait to hear how that turn of events happened, and (laughs) is his mother happy about it? (laughs) Accompanying Eric Cheshire today is Mr. Brian Brown, born in the most northern region of the United States, Maine. Brian's father loved jazz and feathered his son's skills as a drummer. As early as age 14, Brian began performing, and over his teen years would have the pleasure of learning from and sitting in with such legends as Louis Armstrong, Howard McGee, Benny Golson, and many others. Throughout his career, Brian continued to play with a wide variety of musicians, including Lightning Hopkins, opening for Ramsey Lewis, and more recently performed with Herbie Hancock. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. In 1983, Brian moved to Little Rock, Arkansas. Can't wait to hear that story. And today is part of the Ted Ludwig Trio. And like his fellow musician and studio member, Eric, helps produce music at Infrared Studios in Mayflower, Arkansas. It is with great pleasure. Welcome to the table. Not one, but two well-trained musicians and Infrared Studio members, pianist Mr. Eric Cheshire and drummer Mr. Brian Brown. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So i got to tell everybody that, Eric, you were here last week. Yes, I was. You came with the Steinway, <clears throat> exclusive Steinway dealer in town, Steinway & Sons, Stephen Werges, and you are the Steinway & Sons manager. Yeah. Uh, when Steinway approached Steve to open the store, he quickly realized that I had had my own piano company for years and uh, had been in the business for many, many years. And I think part of, of receiving the Steinway Gallery was that they knew that he had some pretty good support standing behind him and I agreed to help. And so he decided he had to call me something. So he calls me the store manager, which I get a kick out of. <laughs> uh, and like Stephen, you brought a guest too, fellow musician and drummer, Mr. Brian Brown. Last week, Eric, you and I, I, was, I talked to Stephen a lot and towards the end you and I got to talking yeah. and then I found out how interesting you are and I was like, please come back this week. So I invited you back. <laughs> Thank and you so much. You're welcome. And just like uh, Stephen, you brought a friend, another really interesting musician. Brian. Hello, Brian. Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, I enjoyed reading about you. You have played with every great person that ever played jazz in the United States <laughs> and probably outside. But how did you two guys uh, first meet and become friends? Uh, actually, it was uh, at the uh, Herbie Hancock 
gig. That's right. Oh, so y'all haven't yeah. known yeah. each other very long? No. No, 2008. Yeah. 2008. Yeah. yeah. He gave me one of the finest intros I've ever had. <laughs> what does that mean? What did you do? I was like, the MC for he the was grand the MC. opening. And um, so I got to announce him to come out on stage. And this yeah. was uh, just about the time he and Dr. Rex Bell, who owns Infrared, got together. And uh, like they say, the rest is history. We get just kind of, over the years, got to know each other. And I first played with Dr. Bell back in the 90s, I think. It was, yeah, a long time. Then didn't do a lot of work with him, but as things went, then the history of the studio unfolded, I ended up uh, becoming part of the staff. So, Well, I read about dr bell because Stephen, you sent me he's his. amazing yeah yeah and i thought well he was called dr bell because he had like a phd in music or something no <laughs> no <laughs> tell our listeners what he really he why he's called dr bell he's a pathologist at that Baptist just blows Hospital. me away <laughs> yeah. he's he's amazing uh yeah. that's all i can so say so when did he start infrared studio we started officially right in 2007 I guess would be when we officially kicked off the building that we were in had opened, I think a little before that, but during that process, I was, didn't know him. And the person that built that particular building, uh, knew me through the piano business. I had helped him with some sales throughout the years. And he called me and said, you got to come up and see this building that I've built. Little did I know it was a ploy. Um, and I ended up, he is not good in front of cameras and things and had Herbie Hancock coming in for the weekend. And so I ended up being the MC and ended up actually staying on Which board building did he him. build? It was called the Windsong Performing Arts Center. It is no longer in existence. Is it, was it right there where 430 met? Yes, right at, at the junction. 630 at that, yes. ju- that huge yeah. building yes. that I think yeah. now is a church? Yes, that's yeah. where our studio was originally. I remember yeah. when they built that. Was that the recession uh, the recession of 2008 that yes, hit? Yes, when the uh, banks crashed, uh, the gentleman that had built that building was kind of stuck in a real hard financial place, and so he ended up selling to the Oasis Church. And uh, uh, at that time, I had known Dr. Bell just briefly. He played piano uh, during the first talent search we uh, did to get the studio up and running. And uh, I had no idea that he had actually purchased all the equipment for the studio and really owned it. Uh, and he caught me in the hallway one fate, fateful day and said, hey, I'd like to keep this going, but we're going to need to move. And uh, I don't I can't do it unless I have some help. And so <laughs> did Dr. Bill build the actual building himself? No, uh, that that was a different man. Uh, but okay. he funded and purchased all the equipment okay. for the studio. And he couldn't afford the rent there anymore. So he was like, we're- well, the building was sold. Oh, it, the so yeah, we had to move. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's an interesting guy, Doctor Bell. To continue on his biography, because he's not here, we can talk about him. Oh, he's amazing. Uh, he released two jazz CDs on the Infrared label. So, does the Infrared Studios have a label? When we first opened, uh, we had a very small label, um, and that was to help the people that were coming in our studio. We we built the studio to give artists in this area a good, safe place to come to where they didn't you always said that you said that last yes. week a safe place i'm like what does that mean well what what typically happens if you live in a small town and somewhere in the united states and you are found to have some talent and you want to try to move forward with that your only options are to go to nashville go to new york go to chicago go to la you have to physically pick up and leave and go and try and make it 
And what we see happen so often is that you get, if you end up having a little success, you end up with people all around you that don't know how to say the word no, or you get taken advantage of. Uh, the music business is a brutal, brutal. So it's place. safe because you can practice your art without feeling like you're going to be taken advantage of. Yes, you can come here and you can go home at night. And you can still have your family around you, and yet we can provide everything that you would get. But if you, you can't moved. make a good living here, can you? Yeah. Well, you are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. Yeah. Okay. There's so much talent everywhere. We're going to talk about that. So let's talk about Dr. Bell. He released these two jazz CDs that have been nationally recognized on NPR's Audiophile Audition. He's performed music at the Kennedy Center. He's always writing. Uh, Rex is probably... And he's probably listening right now, so he's getting mad at me already. But uh, Rex is probably the finest player that I've ever met. Um, That's what Steven Sworges said about you last week. Well, I'm pretty darn good. And in my travels, I could always hang in there. And then I heard Rex Bell play. Uh, He has an extraordinary talent. And combined with that, though, is is a real desire to help other artists. And... I believe this. He would never say this, but I believe that he started the studio for two reasons. One, selfish, so he could have his place, mm-hmm. best quality, best production to record his music. He's a phenomenal writer mm-hmm. and an arranger of the highest order. And you combine that with his ability to play. Uh, but I've seen throughout the years working with him that he also has a great hand that he reaches out uh, to artists. Uh, we charge $50 per hour. It That's is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And it's, what does a normal person charge? If you were in Nashville with a studio, with the equipment that we have and the expertise we have, you'd be at 150 to $250 an hour in a blink of an eye. Um, and you guys love it. Yes. Oh, yeah. So because Dr. Rex Bell is a pathologist and studies human tissues and, and diagnoses human disease, did he give you all the inside scoop on COVID-19? Did y'all know it was coming before we did? No. (laughs) No. (laughs) All right. This is a great place to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversations with the well-trained musicians from Infrared Studio, pianist Mr. Eric Cheshire and drummer Brian Brown. We'll be back after the break. In the past couple of months, there have been some very special guests on Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, and there are lots of ways that you can re-listen to those programs. You can go to the Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy YouTube channel and watch the videos. Or if you go to flagandbanner.com and click on Radio Show, you can listen to the podcasts. They feature everyone from Chris Olson, the famous landscape designer, to Edward Haddock, the director of the Arkansas Small Business Administration. Mike Beebe, the 45th governor of Arkansas, was featured on the show recently. Also, journalist and musician Stephanie Smittle and Stephen Cook from the famous Arkansas program were guests on the show recently. And finally, Stephen Wurgis. He runs one of only 60 Steinway Piano Galleries in the whole world, and it's in Mayflower. And he appeared on Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Please check out the podcast directory at flagandbanner.com or look at the Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy YouTube channel. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with pianist Mr. Eric Shesher and drummer Brian Brown, studio members at Infrared Studio in Mayflower, Arkansas with uh, owner Dr. Rex Bell. And didn't you tell me you brought some music? Was it Rex's music you brought? or I, was I brought it? a sampling from our studio. Uh, the first piece that we'll play is my house band, the fantastic Rex Bell Trio. Um, he wrote pieces about the great women throughout history. 
um, and this piece is about Mary Lou Williams, uh, who was, I don't know if she was the first, but she was one of the first African-American women uh, to just dominate the jazz world, started her own record label, uh, worked with Dizzy Gillespie, Monk. Uh, she is a powerhouse in the business. She was born in 1910 and mm-hmm. died in 1981. So think about the time frame that she did all that in. And she's an amazing human. What's her name? Uh, Mary Lou Williams. Who all was? Who all plays on this? Uh, you have uh, Rex Bell that, on the piano. Okay. Uh, we have Brian Brown on drums and the amazing Joe Vick on the upright bass. Oh yeah. And I I can't remember if I orchestrated anything in this or not. I don't think so. Did you I play think the piano? It's appeared. No, no. Uh, Rex is the player. Oh yeah, that's right. Yes. And uh, I of course uh, produced it and uh, recorded it. So how do we know? I love it. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yes. So how do we know that it's about Mary? When There's he no re- words. When he released no. the album, there was a booklet. And he ah. actually did the bios and the backgrounds of all these people. Are these the type of, I don't know anything about music, I'm sorry. Are these the type of chords that she played or the way she, or, or the riffs or how do you say that? Uh, Rex uh, Are, wrote the music for each woman based on his impression of them and what they did throughout their lives. And I'm sure in the case of Mary Lou Williams, this has hints of her, her style, her style. Yes. That's really wonderful. I really loved it. Before the break, we talked about infrared studio and how y'all met and how you met Brian Brown. But now, Eric, let's talk about how your love of music began. Did your parents oh my play? My mother was a player. It's odd that I remember her playing three songs mostly. She, uh, Dr. Zhivago, love theme, was just played every day in my house. And well, she, that's good. She was such a good player. And uh, she would never talk about it much, about her own playing. She never forced us to do it, you know. Um, I started playing piano because my older sister started playing. And about two years into her lessons, I was maybe three or four years old, grandma and grandpa came to visit, and they found out that Amy, my older sister, was uh, taking piano lessons, and they asked if she would play something, so she did, and of course they clapped. 
And I said, oh, no, I want that. <laughs> and I took off. I started playing piano when I was three. And wow, that's really early. Yeah. So why did you go take, go to school for a BS to be pre-med? If you knew you loved piano from day one. Yeah. And you, when did you start playing, performing? Did you start performing in high school? I performed in high school like most typical high school kids was. It wasn't really till I went to college that I really started writing. That was my main thing, writing and playing and singing originals and started doing concerts and, you know, things. I've always been torn in my life. I'm a man of science. I love it with all my soul, but also music calls me. Which one did you plan on doing? Were you going to be a doctor? Well, it's a funny story. My dad was an orthodontist. Uh-huh. And his name is John Emerson Cheshire, and I'm Eric John Cheshire. So if you look at our initials, I think he had a dream that one day when he retired, he would just walk out to his sign and flip the E and the J around, and I would take over. Uh, <laughs> I worked for him in his office all throughout high school and already basically could have walked through dental school. He taught me everything. And um, at the end of my sophomore year, I decided that I was disappointing him enough. I was there on a, on a full-ride music scholarship Your sophomore in, in college, college. Uh, i had gone to college on a full ride scholarship and for music for music and i actually decided at the end of my sophomore year that adding the pre-med degree would be a great idea and i called my dad and he was so happy Aww. and uh when i graduated college uh one of the first calls i got was from Capitol records and so i had a decision to make i was all set to go get my master's and then move on and um, in, in, in psych in, uh, and uh in. new york called so away I went, and I've never looked back. I thought it had been your mother that was disappointed. It was your father. Well, I have two memories of my mother. One is I'm about five years old, and I'm practicing, and she's standing behind me crying. I was very good at making her cry, not from the beautiful music either. Um, <laughs> and she's saying to me, if you would only practice, how good you could be. Move forward to where I'm about 16 years old. I'm still sitting at the same piano practicing, and she's standing behind me, still crying. True story. And she says to me, If this is all you want to do, you should just go to New York now because you're throwing your life away. Because I would do nothing but play music all day long. And she was getting upset. <laughs> so, first, she wants you to practice. Then, right. she doesn't want you to practice. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you went to New York. Yeah, when I graduated college, I the other piece to my life also, uh, when I was in sixth grade, I think, we took a tour of the Baldwin factory that was in my home hometown, and I became fascinated on how pianos were made, and I actually asked the guy giving us the tour if I could work there, and being a kind man, he said, oh, sure. Well, he was kidding, uh, but I didn't think he was kidding, so I went home and told my dad that I had a job, and I told him it'd have to be the weekends because I had to go to school, and I... My dad, of course, said no, he was being nice, but I insisted so much that he drove me down there the next Saturday, and they found this poor guy that had given us the tour. Well, they didn't know what to do with me, so they said, fine, <laughs> come on in, and they made me a t-shirt. It said Baldwin Brat on it, and I oh, got to, cute. every weekend, I went to the factory and learned how to make pianos and saw the whole process, so... Also, there was a local Baldwin dealer. And did they pay you? No, but the local Baldwin dealer did. He gave me a job at age 12, and I learned how to sell and run a music store from the ground up from this man. His and how old were you when your dad started driving you down there? Maybe fifth or sixth grade or something. I don't know. So I was maybe 11 years old, maybe. You can't do that now. It's against the no, law. I know. If, if you did that now, everybody would be too much responsibility, lawsuit. I can't help somebody that's yeah. ambitious, young. So you have is, to lay around your house and play video games today. Oh, my gosh, yeah. 
<laughs> so this is really the link that ended up with me and Stephen Wurch's being, you know, working at me helping him. Uh, when I went to New York, I wasn't supposed to start at Capitol Records for about three months or so. And I decided, gosh, I've been doing all this work in pianos. Maybe I'll call Steinway because they're here. So I did. And I got to go on Steinway's sales floor and sell Steinway's for the first time. And now how old are you then? I just graduated college. Yeah. But you went up there to be with... Uh... With Capitol Records. But I had about a three-month window before I could really start. So. Oh, so, you, so they would hire you for a lousy little three months. I wouldn't hire I anybody for three I months. I didn't tell them. Oh, <laughs> bait and switch. I think you've given me that advice before, Mom. What? <laughs> Don't tell them you're going to quit in three months. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, crazy, son. <laughs> so let's talk about all the things. Uh, you call yourself a producer engineer, but you're also an artist with music, which we've been talking about with performance degrees and You've been in the music industry for, I think, at least 25 Long years. Time. Yeah. Uh, so performance. Did you ever perform? Yes, I did. Uh, I got pulled away from it uh, the more I got into the uh, producing side. Uh, but it never really left me. I think once you perform, you always perform. Uh, got to work with Richard Marks and some other names, you know, throughout the time. What happened was Capitol Records realized early on that I had a pretty good ear. And back in those days, you could. What did they hire you for? I was for the worst job ever. Um, I would sit in a room, uh, me and one other guy who was above me. He was my boss. And back in those days, you were allowed to send, if you were an aspiring writer or a singer, you could just send your music in on tapes. You would just send them in, and someone would actually listen to them. And my job was to sit in this room and open up, put the tape in and listen and between me and my boss we would decide it goes in the round file or so some little kid that just graduated high school is deciding on the music that we're going to listen to pretty much wow no i'm kidding uh what what we had to decide was in my boss's opinion because he was sitting there was the band usually what happened was the band we were listening to might be great but the music they were writing was awful what does uh, that mean the music they were, oh, the songs were bad oh, but the, quali- the band okay. was good or you know, the band's really awful, but listen to those songs. If there was any nugget of something that we felt we could do something with, we would pass it up the food chain. Okay. And then maybe one out of a billion of those, they would call down and I would be sent out to work with them. Um, the worst assignment was in Georgia, working with a band called the Yellow Rose. They were a country band who dressed like the old Bon Jovi with the big hair and spandex. Um, <laughs> yeah. What year was this? Oh, my gosh. I have no, I mean, I was twenty three years old that seems like a really yeah. good job for a 23 year old it was kind of cool and uh when i was in georgia then i rehooked up with yamaha uh, another great great piano maker and i helped all the local dealers there in my spare time uh with midi and keyboards and is, training if, their salespeople. if a kid goes to college right now yeah for music performance is there somebody going to call them and ask them to come do this same job or does that job no. even exist oh no no how does it ha- work today? Look, Brian's shaking his head. No. Yeah, it's it's much different today. You have to be solicited today. What does that mean? Well, because of the internet, mostly, but it was before that. But now with the internet, labels don't want to actually develop you as an artist. They want you to already have a fan base, already have an internet present, already be mm-hmm. selling. Uh, they just want to kind of join in the party that you've already created. Uh, hence the need for studios like us. We do all of that. That's what... The word safe means that you keep talking about a yeah. safe place. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, I'm, I'm fixing to get to you. Oh, no problem. <laughs> and, and she will. I <laughs> will. You're I next. I sat in that seat. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're next. Uh, all right. 
Let's go ahead and take a break right here. Although I do want to ask you, how long do you have to practice piano to be good? And do you practice still all the time now? I do. I practiced when I was young four to six hours a day. But that's not normal. Your average. Yeah, that's not normal. Your average child probably plays an hour a day. If you can get them to. If if you can get them to. What's the trick to practicing? Practicing well. Uh, You should practice like you perform. There shouldn't be a difference. What about making a mistake when you practice? So what? Do you keep making the same mistake or do you, sl- no. how do you go th- get through that mistake? You recognize your, your mistake, you go back and you fix it and then you practice it fixed. Uh, there's a problem, it, no matter what it is, sports, like a golf swing. If you learn the wrong golf swing and practice it for 24 hours a day, you will have mastered a wrong golf swing. <laughs> so if you keep playing this piece and it get to the same spot every time and you mess it up don't start all the way at the beginning right. again fix it. fix it right there yes. really slow slow down yep. fix it get the memory muscle is that what you're trying muscle to do memory. Exactly. muscle memory yes. okay. and brain memory and brain memory so yeah. do it really slow over yes, and over ma'am. to get through it all right um let's take another break this is a great place when we come back we're going to continue our conversation with the well-trained musicians from infrared studio pianist mr eric cheshire who's been talking to us and next we're going to find out about the drummer brian brown he's going to be in the hot seat next with different businesses slowly getting back to open hours for the public you need help in encouraging your employees and your customers to stay safe by supporting social distancing TheFlagandBanner.com has social distancing floor decals. See all the styles we have and the uses for them at FlagandBanner.com. And don't miss the 20% off in-stock merchandise coupon code on the website. It's easy to find. And remember this, if you're working from home and attending online meetings, FlagandBanner.com has the office backdrop you need to look professional and ready to work. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with pianist Mr. Eric Cheshire and drummer Brian Brown, studio members of Infrared Studios in Mayflower, Arkansas, way out there in the boonies. I don't know why they're out there, but they like Mayflower, Arkansas. It's right off the freeway, easy access, very centrally located in Arkansas. That way, everybody can come see them. All right, Brian, you're in the hot seat now. All right. (laughs) You're a drummer. Why drums? You know, that's a great question. I think... uh, Well, thank you. A lot of it had to do with uh, just nervous energy at first. I remember sitting at the dinner table driving driving my parents absolutely crazy. That was so fast. (laughs) I don't know how I did that. Okay, that's fast. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And finally, uh, around the time I think I was in sixth grade, one of the local, you have to understand, Maine is, you know, if I was anywhere Yankee, I'd be Canadian. Yep. <laughs> uh, but it's way up there in the uh, little town that I grew up in, at five, uh, about 5,000 people. But it was called the city of Belfast because it was a county seat. Uh, local Bangor, Maine, which was 47 miles away, had a land lease type program for all the school districts in about a hundred mile radius. So my dad rented a snare drum for me, which was one of the big old wooden hooped Gretsch snare drums. 14 Isn't bucks. that what they carry when they march? Kind yeah, of? Okay. yeah, but this is back in the fifties, early, yeah, fifties. And the newer drums that you'll see today all have braces on them. So they're kept at a very level angle and there's no problem hitting them. Uh-huh. 
back then it was a strap that went around your shoulder. Yeah. And uh, little blew, drummer boy. Yeah, and it would move with your hip as you as you marched. So oh, you cool. had yeah. Well, after <laughs> I have several Charlie horses and uh, bruises to <laughs> prove after that, but uh, it kind of progressed from there. My dad was a, a jazz fanatic. So what did that have to do with the, 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 the county seat and all of that? Oh, just... <laughs> just where you came from. Yes, yeah. It, it was a town of like 5,000. I just thought maybe it was so big and open you could have a drums and nobody could hear you because there was so much oh, open air. Well, that too. <laughs> it's like, you know, you live in this really big open air, so let's just get him drums and he can just go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, uh, the fact that my dad was such a big jazz fan. Did he play? Uh, uh, no, he was a, a veterinarian. Uh, allergic to animals, believe it or not. That is the oddest yeah. thing I oh, think yeah. I've ever heard on the show. I'm sorry to laugh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He found out in his sixth year at Cornell uh, that he was starting to react to hay chaff and, and hair dander off of animals. And, oh, he developed it. Well, yeah. And he went to a couple of specialists and they told him, they said, well, you could, you know, graduate and go into practice, but uh, you'll be out in two years. Well, he was in practice for 27 years. What did he do? And, just take a lot of Benadryl? Yeah. Unfortunately, he had to take literally handfuls of ephedrine and Benadryl and all these real Oh, head- that'll make you clean the house. <clears throat> yeah. And cancer finally took him out at 50. He was real young. When, yeah. But uh, anyway, he he kind of pushed me along the, the course of uh, playing music. And uh, as a result, I got exposed to some of the uh, real heavyweights of the music business and uh, that at the age of 14 or 15 playing with people like Louis Armstrong and Howard McGee and some of these upper echelon of players. Did you actually play with them or play along with their records in your house? No, I played with them. Played with them. At 14? Yeah. Louis Armstrong was an interesting story. In Southern Maine, it used to be this big opera house kind of set up at a place called Old Orchard Beach. It was on the end of this huge pier that was out in the Atlantic Ocean. And they would have, they would bring in, especially during the summertime, which is big tourist time for Maine. God knows what they're going to do this year. But they would bring in big bands, Glenn Miller, Benny Goodman, all these huge bands. And uh, we had gotten to know one of the promoters and he was bringing in Louis Armstrong and was a personal friend of Louis's and introduced me. And Louis, God bless him, called me up in the middle of the concert to play. No way. We, yeah. And I mean, being that age, 14, I really didn't understand what was happening. My dad was out in the audience having a heart attack. <laughs> you know, and it was only years later, if you, you want to know what Lewis, if you're not familiar with Lewis Armstrong and what he brought to the table, I suggest watching the Ken Burns series on jazz. Yeah. Because for a non-jazzer, if you will, that's a perfect primer of the whole kind of history of jazz. But Lewis was, I mean, heads and shoulders above just about everybody else as far as what he brought, the innovations. You remember what song you played along with? C-Jam Blues. Huh. 
Amazing. It's an old jazz standard. Yeah, he was. He must have been pretty good for all these guys. He was a sweet man. So you played with Louis Armstrong. For people who don't know, he's a trumpeter. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that know what you would call him? Mm-hmm. Howard McGee. I looked him up because you said you played with him. He's a trumpeter. trumpeter yeah. Charlie Mariano. Yeah, he played clarinet. Saxophone. Okay. Sax. Saxophonist. And Benny Golson, another saxophonist. So you've mm-hmm. got all this repertoire with all these horn players. Mm-hmm. So you just, and so when I watched their songs that they played, because I was looking for you, because I just met you today and I was wondering what you look like. <laughs> so I was looking for pictures for you and I was looking through all, and I was watching their songs on YouTube. And it looked like all these drummers were playing with brushes. Mm-hmm. Is that what you play with? Yeah. It's, uh, Sometimes. Sometimes, but uh, especially this gig that I've been with, with Ted Ludwig at the Capitol Hotel now for 12 years, most of that is brushes simply due to the fact of the acoustics in hotel mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, just volume level. But mm-hmm. yeah, brushes are a, it's a whole other, they make me cry every day because as opposed to a stick, which you're basically managing physical bounce Mm -hmm. a brush you create each stroke there's no bounce so carpal tunnel oh well (laughs) i have nightmares (laughs) i have nightmares about that (laughs) but uh luckily knock on wood i haven't uh, developed so playing brushes looks easier but it's actually harder because you don't get the bounce oh it's a whole other thing yeah it brings wow because if you look at a, a drum, okay, there are different colors on that drum, going out from the rim Sounds. to to the center of the drum. It's just different colors to it. And, and when you say and, colors, you don't mean literal colors; sound. you mean sound colors. Sound. You taught sound. us about that last week. Yeah. The colors of sound. Yes, I learned. But uh, and brushes are just another color, basically, and there's all sorts of variations to the colors you can play as opposed to a stick. You played with Lightning Hopkins. <laughs> yeah, for a week in uh, Boulder, Colorado, at a club there called Tulagi, which was this big college hangout. And they brought in all the national acts uh, of the day, if you will. Rolling Stones magazine ranked him as on number 71 on the 100 greatest guitarists of all times. Mm-hmm. He was interesting to work with because uh, if you listen to a modern blues piece, you know, it's a one, four, five, and it's at eight bars, you could, you're going to the four, right. and then after another eight bars, you go to the five. Well, his uh, chord progressions would happen at bar 13 and a half <laughs> or whatever. I mean, it, you had to really listen. He taught me a lot about listening to how, where the music was going. And just a sweet man, sweet, sweet guy. He and his wife traveled together and uh, on break would do a, do a set, take a little break. He said, Mama, give me my medicine. And she carried a pint of uh, old overhauled whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> that was his medicine. That was his medicine. And uh, yeah, that was, that was a, a fun week. I, took me a month to recover from that because <laughs> I was trying to stay up with him. <laughs> and he was probably 20 years older than you. Oh, at least. Yeah. I was I was 23, 24. He was, God had to be in his 60s. The life of a traveling 
musician is so tough. It is. That's a young man's game as far as I'm concerned. But there's so many people still doing it that are old. Yeah, but they're staying in four-star hotels, not sleeping in the back of a pickup. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> it's the, still hard, though. Even even still, that's even star. So you played in this band, this fusion band. And I was like, what is a fusion band? So I went and looked at Weather Report. Yes. <laughs> they opened for Ramsey Lewis, and they had a hit called Birdland, which became a jazz standard, which I went and listened to. I was like, I know that song. Were you playing with them at the time that that was a hit? I played, this was a band called Fly and the Zippers. (laughs) And and also- They were stoned when they made that name up. Fly was this great uh, saxophone player, bass clarinet player. Oh, okay. With, uh, you have to kind of close your eyes and picture this. He had, instead of a full beard- he had a cone of hair growing out from his right uh, jawline that was like about a foot long, <laughs> okay, 18 inches long at its peak. And it would flutter when he played because he was... Because he was a... He was a he, would, he played the horns. Yeah, he played yeah. bass clarinet, tenor and alto, <laughs> flute. So he kept everything shaved but right there? But this one little cone of hair... <laughs> On it's the right in, side. On the right side. And it came out like this. Women loved it for some reason. <laughs> I don't get that, but okay. Anyway, he would perform with a, a Snoopy flight helmet on with goggles and a throat mic. He would sing the octaves of whatever note he was playing. So, I mean, it was it was bizarre. But He's multi-talented, though. Yeah. Anyway, it was a... So he would play... A clarinet, you said. Is that right? Did you say clarinet? Bass clarinet. And sing with the throat mic on his... Yeah. How do you do that? He's humming. Hum it while yeah. you're playing. Yeah. Well, Whoa. the air is coming. You can engage your vocal cords, but the trick is to produce enough air to keep the reed that he has to vibrate to make the sound in his horn. Yeah. And it's, stay on pitch. Yeah. So it's an extraordinarily weird thing. Or so good. So I mean, tell me. I love it. love it. Okay, what's his name? we got to look him up. His name, his real name is Phil McClard. But when we Google, when we want to go to YouTube and look him up, what's his name? Fly McClard. Fly McClard. Honey, Gray, put a link to that on on there. Absolutely. Fly and the Zippers, right? uh, Yeah, Fly and the Zippers. Fly and the Zippers, you might get something, but uh, that was back in the 70s. I I got to go see this sideways beard. It's 18 inches long. (laughs) <laughs> the cone of shame coming out of his cheek. Uh, strange. <laughs> the women loved it. I don't think the it was shame. It. it was a sexy cone. Wow, it's, uh... well, Boulder uh, was home to some of the more original. Uh, I mean, I look at band names these days and the stuff coming out of Boulder. I was also in a band, this big 10-piece horn band that we played everything from Bob Wills to Duke Ellington. And we were on, speaking of the road, we were on the road a lot. The amount of, of energy, Fly ended up in that band as well. We both kind of went to that band because it, they gave us an offer we couldn't refuse, which is really good money. And we actually did a recording for Columbia, and hearkening back to what we were talking about before, they gave us 50 grand to do a, a record. Wow, that's big bucks. Yeah, but that was kind of, if they were interested in you and they wanted to develop you, that's what they'd do. Okay. And they'd take that back, you know, and considered it a loan. Yes, it was a loan. Oh. Yeah. Of course, we were, you know, buying cases of tequila and really great marijuana and putting it as, as, a, 
<laughs> on a rental slip. So <laughs> along with recording, so, I mean, just to be totally honest here, we, it was the seventies after all. Yeah. That had, a, that had, I a, forgot where we were going. I don't even know where I am in I the show. I'm going to no take idea. a break and we're going to come back. We got five <laughs> minutes. I want to come back. I love talking to brian brown he's got stories okay you may have to come back next week <laughs> every week i get another guy to come back because i just can't get can't quit talking to him all right let's take a quick break when we come back we'll continue our conversation with these two interesting musicians telling their stories from infrared studio pianist mr eric cheshire and drummer brian brown will be right back it's the time of year to splash your home with as much red white and blue as possible the patriotic season in the USA. It runs from Memorial Day all the way through Labor Day. And this year, you'll want to do it more proudly than ever before. Whether you're honoring frontline essential workers, first responders, or just the fact that you're thankful to be an American, theflagandbanner.com has everything you need to string pennants around the porch, hang full fans from windows, wrap columns in fabric, and top it all off with an American flag flying high. Look for the 20% off coupon code, usable store-wide online at flagandbanner.com. We also have answers to all your display questions on our website, too, flagandbanner.com. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with pianist Mr. Eric Cheshire and drummer Brian Brown, studio members from Infrared Studios in Mayflower, Arkansas. If you're just tuning in and you missed what we've been talking about, what we've been laying down, I'm sorry, because you need to go back and listen to this podcast. The podcast is always available. So, Brian, how did you end up moving in 1983 to Little Rock, Arkansas? I moved here to get out of the sandbox of Boulder. I'm a, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Oh, see, and, I told you I love them. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Love those guys. Anyway, came down to help a friend of mine build a solar house and uh, get out of that sandbox. Mm-hmm. And he he was also recovering. He had about five years in AA and so forth and uh, kind of was my quasi-sponsor. Mm-hmm. So did that and didn't touch a drumstick for, I don't know, seven months or so. Moved here in March of 83 and... By September, I had a job with Art Porter after sitting in with his group. Uh, one night, he offered me a gig, so I've been playing ever since. Then mm-hmm. this is the longest, this COVID thing, man. This huh. is the longest break I've, I've had ever. Ever. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I practice every day. And luckily, we are recording. Yeah, let's talk about that. Y'all have uh, been in the industry a long time. You've seen a lot of changes. Looking back, do you have any advice for any young musicians? The business is so different today. Oh, it's totally different. How do young musicians get started? Should they go get a degree? Did you get a degree, Brian? No, I did not. uh, But you play with all these men who who are trained musicians. Luckily, you don't have to show any credentials other than what you bring to the table. What you can play. Is it worth getting a degree? Should you go to college? I'm a fan of it, but it is not a necessity. No one cares if you have a piece of paper when you're playing for them. Um, It's what you can do and what they think you might be able to do. Um, I think that a college degree opens doors on the different sides of the the music business, not just the performing end, um, that possibly 
you wouldn't get if you mm-hmm. didn't have it. So I'm a huge fan of. Kyle. And I think you need to read music. Do you read music, Brian? Gotta yeah. read music. Gotta yeah. read music. Gotta read so music. if you have, yeah. you have to get some training. You've got so to be able to. To if you don't, yeah. So what's Infrared Studios' goal? What is Our, their goal for the future? Our goal is to keep helping as many people as we can uh, develop their talent. That's what we do. Is that um, what you want your legacy to be? That's. It seems to be the legacy, and of course, the great music that from the great players that are there already, um, and really developing the new and young or old talent that uh, comes through our door. We give them four hundred percent effort. We're going to play. You brought some more music. We've run out of time. Yeah. We're going to go ahead and put it on the podcast, so we'll awesome. play your next song. What is the what is that music? Uh, the next song was a movie score that I just finished. It's the battle scene. It's a movie that's coming out based on the TV, on the Netflix show The Last Kingdom, and it the score was accepted. I can announce that. And uh, so Yay. I brought the battle scene, and so it, this is a full symphonic movie score, a big difference from the first song. We and what's heard. the name of it? Uh, it's just called The Battle Scene. And what's the name of your Netflix show? The Netflix show is called The Last Kingdom, and they're making a movie out of that show. That's so cool. We know you. Uh, I want to take this uh, opportunity to tell our listeners, thank you for spending time with us. Thank you, Brian. Thank, thank you. you, Eric. Thanks for I loved us. being with you guys. Uh, we hope that our listeners have learned or heard something today that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio, and choose today's guest. If you'd like to sponsor this show or any show, contact me, Gray, at flagandbanner.com. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Stay informed of exciting upcoming guests by subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcasts wherever you like to listen. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream.